Not only is he the voice of the AA Tennessee Smokies, he's been calling Cubs spring training action since 2011. Joining us today to talk Cubs baseball, the very talented Mick Gillespie. Locked on Cubs coming at you now. You are locked on Cubs, your daily Chicago Cubs podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team, Every day. Good morning, everybody. Happy Thursday to you. Welcome in. I'm Andrew Bellison. This is indeed Locked On Cubs. Thank you for making us your first listen each and every morning. Privilege to be joined by the voice of the AA Tennessee Smokies and a longtime member of the Chicago Cubs organization, Mick Gillespie. Mick, good morning. Thank you for taking the time on a on a busy road trip in between workouts here this morning. Yeah, yeah. Look, I mean, uh, you 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 are very presentable. And for those that are w- looking at me right now, they're probably going, "What is this guy? He looks like he's ready to play some baseball." But uh, yeah, this is. I've got uh, you know a workout coming up next, so kind of slid this in here. But always gr- love to talk Cubs baseball. Great to talk to you. Let's dive right in. Cubs are off to a good start. Took two or three from the Brewers in the opening series. Uh, beat Pittsburgh yesterday. It's been the Seiya Suzuki show early on. I mean, you saw him in Mesa. Tell me one reason why this could continue for the Cubs and one reason why, hey, they're off to a good start, but they're just not ready yet to compete. Yeah, you know what? I was broadcasting with uh, Dog with Ron Coomer, when Suzuki hit his first ever Cubs home run, and it was his first hit, right? It was a spring training home run, so it was pretty funny uh, watching that ball fly out and then, um, you know, talking about the call in between innings with, with Ron Coomer um, and, and laughing about it. I, I Look, if maybe he's, you know, the real deal. I mean, off to an, an awesome start. I think the Cubs could be competitive this year. Uh, I think one of the reasons that they might be competitive long-term is pitching. Uh, I like what they did with the bullpen. And I think that there's a lot of really good late-inning relievers that are in the organization that could join what they already have. You know, we're, we're kind of seeing uh, some of these young guys like Robertson get into games. You know, we knew about him from the minor leagues. Um, but there's some more guys that are just as good, and I'm guessing that eventually the, that, that they'll be up um, when needed. That's one thing. Um, the other would, is, you know, maybe, you know, Frank Schwindel and Patrick Wisdom are the real deal, you know. And, and if the Cubs get uh, production from those two guys, Ian Happ off to a great start. We've seen this with him before. Yeah. Um, it, it, it'll give them the ability to compete over the long haul. Uh, loved seeing them take two out of three from Milwaukee. And, you know, we know the Pirates aren't that good this year. What, what the Cubs have to do is they have to win these games against teams like the Pirates, like the Reds, that you look on paper and go, okay, you know, they're rebuilding and take advantage of those opportunities. You saw Suzuki firsthand in Mesa. We've got a little small sample size of him early on. You know, there's always the argument when when guys come over from Japan, is their game going to translate, you know, to the major league level, to the major league game? What do you see from him where you say, yeah, absolutely, it's going to translate? Yeah, I mean, remember when Fukudomi came over and and joined the Cubs? You know, we were wondering, like, you know, how good is uh, Fukudomi going to be, you know? And and he was streaky, but he struggled. Um, 
I, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I was just watching to see how his bat speed would play against, you know, pitching in MLB that, you know, got every guy throws like 95, 96, 97, right? Yeah. And uh, what we're seeing is that, that so far, you know, he's able to hit that. So um, they, they throw a lot of off-speed pitch and a lot of breaking balls in Japan. So, you know, I figured he'd be able to do that. But Ichiro Suzuki showed us that you can come over from their league and play in this league and you can compete. And I love it. You know, I love the fact that Major League Baseball is like the, the top league for, for baseball and that guys from Japan and, and, you know, all over the world want to come to uh, the U.S. and Canada to compete. It, it really does. The diversity makes it a lot of fun to watch. I, I love the, 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 the culture that that he's brought, you know, he hits a home run and he's, you know, they're bowing on the way home, you know, so uh, hopefully that continues, you know, it's, it's just, it's such a small sample size, you know, it's hard for me to say, okay, yeah, over the, the course of an entire season, what's it going to look like, but Shohei Otani's maybe the best player in baseball right now. I mean, his teammate Mike Chalk could argue with that, <laughs> but you know, he just, slid over from Japan as well. So I'm, I'm going to guess that if you said, Hey, you know, uh, make a prediction here. I'm going to say that Suzuki is um, it's going to do well for the Cubs. You know, speaking of small sample size, spring training was a little goofy this year because of the lockout shortened, uh, shortened and condensed. I know you guys kind of went through that in 2020 with the COVID stuff and whatnot, but what are some of the factors that went into spring this year, having it be so condensed that we might not realize because we weren't there in terms of preparation, et cetera, et cetera. I don't want to say rush, but it was almost a little rushed. Yeah. Yeah. And this was something that uh, Ron Coomer and I talked about a lot as well while we were there, you know, there's always this big debate and, and you mentioned, I guess 2011 was my first Cubs spring training. It's hard to believe it. It was that long ago. And we used to do the webcast and, and, you know, Len Casper, when he was with the Cubs and I would do all the games. And a lot of people reached out and said, hey, I missed this webcast. You know, maybe we'll do it again someday. But um, it was so much fun because I would be there for the entire time. So you're right. I kind of have, a, you know, a, a perspective on spring training. And it seems like what happens is you get to about, I don't know, uh, maybe a week and a half two weeks to go and the players, some of them start to complain that they're just ready for the regular season to start. Mm -hmm. But what, what the difference is this year is that you, you didn't have that. I know it was condensed, but because of the lockout, the pitchers and catchers didn't get there around Valentine's day, you know, and then have that, that runway to get things started. So uh, they probably could have used another week or two this year. And I don't know how that's going to affect the league, but my thought is, is that, you know, some teams are going to do better with the expanded rosters. And I think the Cubs are one of those teams. I think that, that they're going to benefit from having those extra guys. I think other teams, um, you know, let's say like the Yankees, probably are going to do better without it because, you know, they have more top-end players. And once, you know, that kind of shrinks down, back down again, uh, it'll, it'll benefit them. Uh, over the long term. I mean, and you saw it with the Cubs odds, you know, like when, when they expanded the roster, the Cubs odds got better, you know, and so I paid close attention to that. So uh, that's kind of my gut feeling. Um, you know, Jed Hoyer and his guys are so good at like seeing something like this 
and figuring out how to use it as an advantage. And so um, I, I'm my prediction is that when the rosters, you know, in, in May, when they, go, you know, they, they slim back down again, uh, I think you're going to see some teams start to do this and some teams start to do this. And tell me I'm wrong here, Mick. I think that's a great point you make. The same can be said with the designated hitter in the National League now. I mean, I think a lot of NL clubs are going to benefit from not having a pitcher in the box. But with the Cubs depth and the outfield and the the guys that they can slot into that role, I feel like it benefits them maybe more than than some other clubs in the National League. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've got so many opinions on this. (laughs) Look, I'm surprised, first off, that there hasn't been more pushback on fundamentally changing the National League game, you know, which was baseball forever. And then, you know, of course, the American League did it first. And and, and then now we, we don't have the pitchers hitting anymore. And I realize, like, the the, the pitchers, uh, you know, haven't been great hitters. But the game is so different now without it. I miss that game. You know, I, I mean, listen, I've been a Cubs fan since – I was a kid, you know, watching the Cubs on television, uh, Harry Carey and Steve Stone. You know, I remember my getting my first Cubs hat, you know. I've got a picture. I was in middle school. But I grew up in an American League city in Baltimore. And so, you know, when we would go to the game, you know, we had the DH. And for a long time, I thought, why, you know, we, why would we want the pitchers to bat, you know? But then as I, like, started to get into playing baseball, and then, you know, uh, you know, watching the National League game, I realized, like, the, the, the National League game is so much better because every person on the bench is needed every single game. You know, in the American League, I mean, you bury guys who don't play a whole lot because, you know, the, certain managers might not ever use a pinch hitter. You know, it, it's, it's, it's kind of, you know, one of those things in the AL, like, you might see it, but you might not, right? In the NL, every single game, you know, it's like, hey, when do I bring the pinch hitters in? Love the double switch. You know, the utility guy is important. It's a be- it's a better fundamental game when the when the uh, when the pitchers had to hit because of all of the things that you do, and also managing. I mean, yeah. I mean, how fun was it watching Joe Madden? You know, do the do his thing with all of the switches, and in the minor leagues, you know. Uh, we had, we've had some really good managers, including Ryan Sandberg, you know, yeah. it's funny to see kind of how, you know, Rhino, when he managed the Smokies in 2010, how he would attack the double switch, because we played with that down here when two NL teams, uh, you know, would play each other. But, you know, with that said, I, I'm definitely in the minority because no one really has stood up and said, Hey, you know what, this, what are we doing here? And I don't think we'll ever see it again. So um, you know, maybe I should just feel lucky that I got to, you know, live in the time where I got both. You know, I got the NL style and the AL style. But as far as it goes to the Cubs, you know, you're right. It was another thing that when they changed the rule, the Cubs odds got better. Um, and, you know, and it makes guys valuable who might, you know, like hitters like uh, like Andre Dawson, you know, like a, like the Hawk, you know, my, one of my favorite Cubs, you know, he, he, he got it got to the point where it was really tough for him to play the field because of his yeah. knees. But, you know, he could still hit, uh, you know, one one guy uh, and I was thinking about him the other day. I, I saw Len Casper in spring training and I was telling him that as a kid, I caught Harold Baines uh 297 home run. It was a grand nice. slam. I still nice. have the ball. And I took and I told Len, I said, hey, if you run into him. 
and this is before I even knew about his double transplant. I didn't realize he had health issues. I just, you know, I, I have a piece of his history and I'm like, Hey, one day, you know, if I, if I can meet him, I, I'd love for him to have this for someone in his family, but he, he's got to meet me. We got to talk about it. This isn't for sale. This is, you know, it's gotta be like a, it's gotta be something that is treasured as, you know, as much or more uh, to someone in his family as it is for me, you know? Um, but I, I was telling him, I mean, Harold Baines is one of the great, and, you know, of course he was a sock amongst other teams, but he was one of the great DHs of all time, yeah. you know? And, and it's like, I remember watching him hit and as a kid, like just being in awe at his ability to bat with two strikes, you know, the way that he could change his swing and, and, and it was a thing of beauty, you know? So yeah. I'm kind of hoping that that's what the position, you know, turns into, um, you know, where you get guys like Harold Baines or Andre Dawson, who was my favorite Cub, get, get them maybe a prolonged career. Mm -hmm. And then for this for this team now, um, you know, I, I think that it, it helps because now you can put, you know, uh, Ian Happ in the lineup and you don't have to have him in the field, right? Yeah. And, um, you know, as much as I like Ian and, and the things that he does, sometimes, you know, defensively, you know, he, he's kind of, you know, like this, you know, sure. uh, up and down, you know, but he's always – to me, he's always a good hitter. Even I know he's had the strikeout issues, but I really like having him in the lineup. So you get guys like that in there uh, on certain days. You maybe give him a rest in the field, keep guys fresh. You know that that's definitely uh, something that would uh, would play for them. And um, you know, I guess we'll see what happens. But I I think that it definitely makes the Cubs a, a more formidable team scoring, and I feel like the pitching is going to be there. So I guess that's why it, it would help them. I love your Harold Baines reference. I'd love to see that ball. That's so cool. First and foremost, as a kid growing up in the Chicago suburbs, I would, I throw lefty and hit righty. I was so ticked that Mark Grace and Harold Baines hit left-handed and I didn't too. <laughs> and I just wanted to be as smooth as they were. And obviously I never was, but watching them, man, growing up, it's like, God, how do they make this look so easy? Oh man. I, I loved uh, Gracie too. I, I had a, uh, the Mark Grace t-shirt I used to wear to school. You know, they they would call me. I lived in uh, Heightstown, New Jersey, for a while too, and they they would call me uh, the Cubs kid. You know, because I had the hat and the shirt. Never thought that I'd be you know involved with the Cubs uh, professionally. And uh, honestly, I almost wish that I was with another organization, just because it's I love the Cubs too much. Probably, you know, like yeah, I probably should have moved on years ago. But you know, it's like. Uh, it, it's just something special about the the sea, man. I mean, I and I and I remember wanting to. I learned how to play first base because of uh, because of Grace. But Me I, too. you know, I, I, yeah, like I I I'm right handed first baseman, definitely not him. But you know, yeah. like I, I got the first baseman's net, you know, and and we get out there and uh, you know, I had to I had the t shirt. I can still see it, it was like a black t shirt and it had like you know like a caricature of him on there, you know. Um, yeah, what man, those were some great days too. Yes. Yeah. Whiffle yes. ball in the backyard, you know, yes. you emulate those swings. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. I love it. I want to talk about another potential big time change in the game here in a sec. Before we do, I want to remind everyone, betonline.net, your number one source for all your betting stats and information all season long. Find all the latest sports developments, league reviews, and news, including this year's basketball playoffs and the start of the Major League Baseball season. Bet Online, your continued source for all your sports wagering information. Bet Online, where the game starts. I'm 35 years old, but I feel like the curmudgeon in me comes out. This DH talk is one of the things that gets me going. 
you know, I missed the bullpens down the line at Wrigley Field. And now we've got this pitch com technology that I want to rack your brain about. And for those that don't you know, know about it, it's a digital pitch calling technology between pitcher and catcher where catcher essentially wears a wristband, dials up the pitch and location, and it goes into the uh, receiver in the pitcher's ear, eliminating, you know, the the, the traditional finger signals in, in hopes of uh, improving the pace of play, which is an issue at the major league level, no doubt, and also sign stealing. Now, I think this is not um, – it wouldn't be tops on my list. I think it takes the gamesmanship away. I think it compromises the integrity of the game. But you you may have seen this in action at spring uh, training this year, and and if not, you know what what are your what are your thoughts on it? Yeah, I mean, I've thought about this a lot. I mean, I guess going back to just playing baseball, and I've always been good at, and I don't even know how, honestly. Like I, I'm going to tell you this, but I can watch guys. I, I can pick up guys tipping pitches um you know sometimes i can figure out what the signs are uh i used to be the guy on the team that would you know come up with the uh when you're at second base you know, like we would steal the signs and you know if it was like you know hey if, if i'm yelling your last name yep then then look fastball if i'm yelling your first name then it's their curveball or a change, you know whatever <laughs> yeah so you know i've been guilty of, of that as well and i agree with you that it is gamesmanship and if, and I've always felt that if it happens on the field um then it's fine but you know the Astros won a world series using technology illegally who knows how many other teams were involved in this I'm guessing that they're not the only one I'm glad that the Cubs haven't been um uh, you know haven't been fingered at all for cheating you know but um, you know, there's a video I'm watching, uh, you know, after that World Series that John Boy had. And, um, you know, you've seen Altuve come around third and he, it seems like he's got some kind of electronic device on his chest. It, as long as you have the technology that you have now and, and, you know, we watch games every night. I mean, we've got center field cameras that put you right there. Mm-hmm there's going to be a tendency to cheat. And I, that's why I don't mind the, the, the technology. Like if I, if you can type it in on, a, on your wrist and it tells the catcher and it maybe makes it tougher for opponents to steal signs in this day and age, then that's just where we are right now. You know, like it's, it's the same thing to, to me as, you know, instant replay or something that I'm a big proponent of is um, the, the robot umpire, the strike zone. And, I, and I'll tell you why. I'll tell you a story. Uh, and if you ever run into Ryan Sandberg, you can ask him about this. We were in the 2000, and it was actually 2009. We were in the 2009 championship game. And this umpire hated Rhino. They had a big rivalry, a guy named Chris Ward. And I'll say this until and, and my entire career. I, and I, if he hears this, you, you, he knows it's true. All of a sudden, at the end of the game, we're, we're about to win game one. He won't call strike three to end the game. And a guy hits a home run and we lose. And and I'm telling you right now, we, we, the guy ties it with a home run. And then, you know, they 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 did some other stuff in the extra innings where they, they called the team back on the field after there was an out called off at first base. And it was just very odd stuff, right? Yeah. And, and I know that in that game, I remember, uh, you know, some of the Cubs front office people were there. And we all kind of met afterwards uh, to talk about it over a beer. And, and we were all just stunned because we watched an umpire steal that game from us. And we lost the series. And I just think that 
in the big leagues with guys like Angel Hernandez, who might not be doing it on purpose. He just isn't very good at, you know, calling balls and strikes. I mean, let's be honest here. Right. He stinks. Um, it, 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 I love taking the human element out of the uh, out of the game just because I, it always goes back to that that series to me in 09. And I'm like, you know, how many games are determined by an umpire's bias? You know, yeah. it's, I mean, you know, you, you they. They, they okay well this guy's a veteran so he's going to have a different strike zone than a rookie you know i don't believe in that i think there's mm -hmm. one strike zone you call it that's how it should be you know and um the 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 less that they have an influence on in a game the better to me right so the instant replay has taken out you know some of the you know some of the awful calls like the 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 one where you know uh, the, the guy's throwing a perfect game, right? Uh, Galarraga, I forget his first name. And um, and the last out's recorded, and the umpire like says the guy's safe, and he's like this far off the bag, yeah. you know. And, yeah. and and it was that was a pure accident. It was just bad positioning. Um, but at the same time, you know, it was fixed that fast. You know, I love taking the human element away from the umpires. I know that these guys, a lot of them, are really good. You know, when you do big league games compared to the minors, there's a huge step up. And then when I do college games um, from time to time, it's like enormous. And you realize how really good these umpires are yeah. for the most part. But if you can get it, you know, perfect, why wouldn't you? You know, so that's what technology gives us. So I, I'm I'm I guess I'm I'm a fan of it as long as, um, you know, as long as it, as it doesn't slow the game down a whole lot. Mick Gillespie is our guest here on Locked On Cubs. Fine voice of the Tennessee Smokies. Been part of the Cubs organization for many, many years. Locked On Cubs, free and available wherever you source your favorite cast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. I, I want to shuffle over to some of this younger talent that the Cubs system is suddenly ripe with. Kind of started with that Darvish deal uh, a, a couple of seasons ago and, and then the core last year. And, and these names, you know, that came back, the Killians and the Pete Crow Armstrongs and the Brennan Davis is your homegrown guy. But... Paint us a picture. I mean, what popped for you with some of these young studs that we're now seeing in this in this uh, farm system that was just a few years ago somewhat depleted, but now seems to be one of the bigger assets of the organization? Yeah, I mean, you know, this is for me. I mean, I've, I've been around a long time. I, I, you take all of the Cubs broadcasters and you just kind of made me think of this. Um, you know, now that Lens with the Sox and uh, Dean Ellis has retired in Iowa. Mm -hmm. I'm the longest tenured broadcaster in uh, the Cubs system right now, which is amazing, right? And I've, I've been with the team since 2007. So I've seen a lot of baseball. I've seen a lot of minor leagues. Um, you know, <clears throat> first off, I I felt like when, when Theo Epstein took over as the president of the Cubs, um, he was very critical of the of the Cubs minor league system at the time, right? Uh, trashed it, you know, and uh, and Jim Hendry took a lot of, uh, you know, took took a took a really a fall basically uh, because of that. And I thought that some of that was unfair, you know, like um, I didn't think that the system was that bad. Uh, I just didn't. They didn't have the top end prospects, but Jim also wasn't allowed to lose four straight years you know, as many games as he could in the big leagues right. to, uh, to, you know, to stockpile talent, you know, the, the, the biggest difference to me in the entire Cubs organization. And I feel like fans 
are too tough on Tom Ricketts and the Ricketts family. Um, I, I read the stuff on Twitter and, uh, and just having been around it behind the scenes, that we should be thanking our lucky stars every day that the Ricketts family owns the team, plain and simple. Mm-hmm. The, the organization, when it was owned by the Tribune, was an absolute joke. You know, they would go into the, um, the drafts and the scouts would tell me this and the guys that they wanted to take, which a lot of them became big league stars, <laughs> they, or we're not going to pay that guy or he's with this agent. So we're not doing that, you know? Um, and then when Tom Ricketts came in, all that ended, you know, it was like, Hey, we're going to invest in the, in the minor leagues and, and we're going to build up. And that's exactly what they've done. And that's something yeah. that, you know, he, he and his family and his ownership style have really wanted to put a focus on. And, um, and, and, and then there were some guys, I mean, the, the biggest difference between what we had before, uh, you know, Theo took over and, 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 you know, what we had after was the, the first round picks, you know, the, the top end guys were just so much better than, the other players that I would see, you know, like Javi Baez was actually drafted. Uh, Tim Wilkin, who's now with Arizona, one of the great all-time scouts. Mm-hmm. I think he just got into the scouts hall of fame. I, I think he did. But anyway, he, this guy's amazing, man. And when you're talking about behind the scenes and you want to talk baseball, Tim Wilkin is <laughs> like this. It's, it's crazy. I mean, he's telling me before they drafted Baez, they thought he, he they, they thought he was going to be there. And, and, and Tim's saying like, Hey man, I just, I've, been, I've watched this guy and I'm picturing him in, in the backyard, like, you know, practicing, you know, catching the ball and flipping it behind his back, you know, and he's like, you're going to love this guy. And man, he, of the Cubs, I still love Baez, you know, like he's right. Like every day you see something with him that you've never seen before. Right. But it started with him. And then Chris Bryant, you know, uh, was what, like the second pick in the draft or something, mm-hmm. you know, and and then you go on, and all of those guys were, were home runs. Kyle Schwarber, the way that yeah. they took him. But the rest of the system was not that good. You know, like, it was like one, you know, you, you had, like, these really amazing prospects. And then the Cubs had this, you know, they had a system that was, um, that went from being a real blue-collar system to being a system for, you know, a decade where they became elitist, you know, guys didn't seem like guys didn't really want to play anymore, you know, mm-hmm. like uh, besides those, those superstar prospects. Right. And, and then you look at it, you know, like they might have like a handful of guys get, that got to the big leagues. And then wh- what about all the rest of them? Right. And, and, you know, and before, you know, we would see like, I don't know, like uh, 15 guys from each Smokies team get to the big leagues, you know, the double yeah. a, um, they, they lost a lot of really great player development people to other organizations that poached those guys from the Cubs and then they would go other places. And then they didn't do a really good job, in my opinion, of finding elite guys to replace them. And that's something that I, I got to give Jed Hoyer a lot of credit on right now. There is a big shift in that aspect of things. You know, the elitism that I saw, uh, the entitlement that I saw in the system where, where I was, uh, it was very disturbing as far as like, if you're trying to develop guys to be the next wave, um, that's gone now, you know? So be patient with, with, uh, with Jed and know that like, there's, there's definitely a fresh wave coming 
Um, and then, the, the, and then obviously, look, I mean, we, we traded away our heroes, man. You know, the guys that got us a World Series ring, you know, like the guys who finally helped us erase that, you know, the gut-wrenching 84 season, <laughs> which you probably don't remember, but you do remember 03, you know, yep. 89, yep. all these years where we're yep. like, this is it, you know, and it doesn't happen. And, and those those were the guys, 2007 and 2008 were really hard too, you know, you get in the playoffs mm-hmm. and don't win a game. And and one year you're the best team in the, in the league, you know. Um, but so they better get talent back. I don't know. I haven't seen these guys enough to really say, Hey, you know, let me give you my opinion, my breakdown on them. Like I can tell you that the, the players who I think are going to make an impact next for the Cubs are the Kane Eckerts and the Ben leapers, you know, back end relief guys who have elite stuff. Um, you know, uh, uh, Scott Efros was a guy. I don't know that he has elite stuff, but I'll tell you what, the guy can pitch every single day. And um, he was getting killed down in the minor leagues. And then he went sidearm. And, uh, and it's awesome because he's such a good guy to watch him in the big leagues, like just ringing dudes up and, and you know, and just being so good. So I can tell you that um, Brennan Davis will be a player for the Cubs. I think he'll be an everyday player eventually. He's got some things to work on in his game. He's not ready to be there yet, um, but you know he's a smart kid. He's a leader. I'm curious to see how he progresses, um, and and what happens, you know, with him. Nelson Velasquez is a player that the Smokies have right now. This guy has he's got big time potential. You know, he's an outfielder with uh, uh, the ability to hit for average. He hits for power. He had 20 home runs last year. Um, he's just a force in the lineup. He, he has good at bats, just has that look to him. And I could see him being in the big leagues, uh, this year. So, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens now, as far as all the, the guys that they traded for, see one of the biggest differences now, and you know, this than than what it used to be is that when you make a trade teams, you know, aren't ownership, you know, you can't go to your owner and be like, Hey, look, we're going to make a deal right now and we're going to give up are one, two, and three prospects that are in, you know, that are a year away from being in the big leagues. Teams don't like doing that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, how, how tough is it to, you know, when the Cubs made some deals and they gave up Glaber Torres and then he goes to the yeah. big leagues and tears it up the next year, right? And then uh, Eloy Jimenez and what he's done, you know, it's like what teams do now is they'll say, all right, well, we'll trade someone but it's someone that's 18 years old that's not going to be in the big leagues. You know, they still have three or four years of development before we see them. And so, you know, with with uh, Pete Crow Armstrong, who the Cubs got in the Baez deal from New York, I saw him in spring training, and that that's really the perspective that I have. And he looked good to me. I mean, like he moves, just got a, there's a slickness to him. It's, it looks like he's got it, but I'm I'm curious to see how he progresses because he's, he's not here. Maybe in the second half of the season, you know, he'll, he'll be up here. But um, I, I do feel like that some of these guys are going to hit. And I think that like, since steroids have been out of the game of baseball, it's a young man's game now. And so I see like teams like the Reds and they go out and they, they, they trade some of these guys that that were really productive, you know, Winker and 
Suarez and, you know, and everybody's upset with them. And then I'm looking at their team and I'm going, okay, wait a second. You got Hunter Green, who's Nolan Ryan, right? And if you haven't seen him yet, guys, he throws 100 every pitch. And, and I mean, every it's crazy, 103, and then he gets tired and throws like 99. You know, like this guy's so good. Nick, uh, Nick Lodolo, who's a, who's a, a left-hander that's going to be in their rotation. You know, they they trade away some stars and they get back more pitching. You know, I see this 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 game plan. You know, and I'm like, okay, that that tends to play out too. You know, how do the teams like the A's and the Rays continue to compete, right? because they they they're able to go out and um you know and and make deals and bring the right guys back in i'm going to tell you a prediction that i have about the the uh the trade where matt olson went to atlanta Mm -hmm. uh i i don't know all the players that the braves uh sent to oakland but one guy's name is shay langoliers he's a catcher i'm watching him last year and i'm thinking like if i'm the cubs I'm going to trade whatever I have to right now, including Willie, who I love, but to get this guy, because I think that this guy is going to be a, a superstar, you know? And I, and I, I told um, Ken Korak, the voice of the A's over dinner, I said, this may be one day the Shea Langoliers trade and not the Matt Olson trade. You know, he loves Matt Olson, you know, and, and what he did for Oakland, but there's guys like that out there. And, and it's, it's, it's a, three-pronged thing you got to identify them you have to get them in your system and then you have to develop them you know and um i just i just feel like the cubs right now have a lot of momentum in in those areas so without saying hey i I don't want to give you a prediction on players i haven't seen yet um you know because i haven't seen them but at at the same time i i can tell you by going back over and 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 looking at what jed hoyer's doing and the direction that the farm system's in i'll tell you one big change that i love is that for you know for years the 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 cubs minor leagues uh not only you know did were they ranked high you know because of great players um but they also were really competitive you know like they were always in the playoffs They, they you know winning was always something that we did in the minor leagues and then all of a sudden we just it just turned into a rec league. I mean, it was like the worst teams in the league, you know, like they'd be like, Well, you know what, so and so's pitching and the game the game didn't matter, you know. And that has changed. You know, like they're they're you know, they're keeping score again. You know, they're competitive again. And it's not just the smokies throughout the system. Um, I just don't know how you and this is just me. Now I, look, I'm not a you know, a, a GM that's won, you know, three championships or anything. So, I mean, who, who am I to say other than a guy that just has played baseball and been around the game since I was, you know, five years old. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know how you, you play the game and try not to win or don't care if you win. I, I think that a fundamental, a, a fundamental flaw of a player is when they don't realize it's not always about your stat. It's about doing the little things that it takes to win a game. And you should always want to win. You know, I, I, I'm associated with Alabama. That's where I went to school. I host, uh, you know, my, my football pregame show. Um, there's nothing that Alabama tries to lose in except women's basketball. I don't know why women's <laughs> basketball is that sport, but everything else, you know, you want to win. And, and it's, and it's like, I, I just think that you, when you in, instill that mentality, when Alabama walks on the field and people watching this, even in Chicago or across the world, are going to know 
you better you better bring your A game. You know, I don't care what sport it is. You know, with the Cubs system, it, it got to the point where, you know, we were we were kind of like, you know, like the Cubs were for years. You know, lovable losers. You know, like except we weren't that lovable. We didn't. We it just it, it was hard to watch, and it was frustrating. And a lot of people were frustrated, including the players, because mm-hmm. they want to win and they want to be managed to win and they want the organization to push to win. And you know. It, it, you know, you, you have to do certain things uh, to protect the players because obviously you want them to get to the big leagues and be healthy and all that stuff. But at the same time, having a winner's mentality is something that I think you develop from the minute that they take this hat and put it on their head. And I really feel like Jed Hoyer and his crew are uh, are working in that direction. And, and I'm proud to say that. I mean, look, that's I think that's a really good positive trait. You touched on a great point, Mick. A couple more minutes with Mick Gillespie here on Lockdown Cubs. I think one of the things that impressed me most when Carter Hawkins had his intro press conference in October is the organizational uniformity that he wanted to establish from top to bottom. Get everyone on the same page. Listen, you you said it. There is a right way and a wrong way to do things, and this is how we're going to do it moving forward. Yeah. Look, I I mean, he's he's awesome. You know, I, I'm excited about the you know the way that things are. Um, it's. You know, running an organization is really difficult. And, and I'll tell you what's surprising to me, I guess just because I've been around it so long, is how a lot of fans don't even know. And even some, like, you know, people that are around the game don't even know how much goes into that. Mm-hmm. You know, like you see a guy that shows up and, and starts playing baseball for your team. You know, he's over at third base. You know, how did he get there? Mm-hmm. <laughs> a lot of steps in that and a lot yeah. of really smart people are, are contributing to the success that a team has on the field. Uh, 2016 was amazing because I just felt like you had the people who had been there for a long time, a lot of really good people. And then, you know, guys like Theo Epstein, who it might be the greatest executive of all time, you know, and then he comes in and he brings his best people and it just was like such a perfect mix you know where you you kind of had like the the guys that were there and the guys that were coming in and then you had the Ricketts family infusing money and this attitude like hey it matters now you know we're not here to to just like you know to be the lovable losers we want to win and and it all came together you know and then the toughest thing in sports and going back to Alabama again, and I don't, I, I, I got to give Nick Saban credit because I've never seen anyone better at this in my life. But when you do win, forgetting that you won and getting hungry to win again. And I don't think the Cubs did that. Mm-hmm. I don't think the Cubs did that. I, I think that's why they had to break the team up, to be honest with you. I think that it, it, it's like it was such an enormous accomplishment that it was hard to take the step back and say, hey, I'm going to put this ring down. And I'm going to be focused on kicking ass again today. Yeah. You know, that somebody else is out there and they want to take my spot and I'm not going to let them have it. You know, um, we just never recovered from that with some of the best players that will ever play uh, and wear that Cubs uniform. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think that that's kind of why I think the it wasn't just the players. It was the entire organization, you know, from from top to bottom and and uh, and, you know, and it. And it's tough 
when you accomplish something that you're never going to beat ever. There's no more, you know, there's, there's nothing else that those guys, you know, they, they accomplished it twice. They, they, they yeah. beat the Bambino and then they beat the goat, you know, what else is there? Right. And I, I don't, I'm not putting the blame on anyone. It's disappointing looking back now because God, I, I can't tell you how much I loved watching Baez and Bryant and Schwarber and, you know, and all those guys and what they mean to me and what they mean to me as a Cubs fan and what they mean mm-hmm. to me as a broadcaster and all that stuff. But this organization is going in, in the right direction. And um, I, I don't know how it's going to translate this year, but I'm telling you, they're going to develop some big time players before it's all said and done. And, uh, you know, and I, and that's that's probably for me, having been covering this for so long, the most exciting part of being around the, you know, the 2022 Smokies and, you know, in the Cubs minor league. Mick, can we close with a little rapid fire here? Um, so say your broadcast career fails tomorrow. So not true. I know, but how are you paying your bills? Yeah. You know, that's a good question. Uh, I'm still, I still do football stuff. I guess if you're saying, if I don't do any kind of broadcasting, what would I do? Um, I'd probably be a sales executive. One thing you have to learn in broadcasting is how to go out and sell things. So I, 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 I would probably make a lot more money if I wasn't in radio. What's your favorite minor league ballpark of all time? Oh yeah. I'm in it. This honestly, I'm in it right now. Uh, the Montgomery biscuit stadium, Riverwalk stadium in Montgomery, they built the stadium in an old uh, train stop and a whistle stop. Right. And it's an historic site. We, my son's uh, fourth grade went on a field trip to, um, to Montgomery, Alabama, right? And we see the Rosa Parks Museum, Rosa Parks Museum. We, 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 we uh, go, go to Martin Luther King's church. And we do all this really, really cool stuff. And then we go there and I'm like, hey, I work here, right? And it's a, it was a Confederate prison during the Civil War. It's right on the water. The way that they constructed the place is amazing. And um, and it's just got so much history in there. And honestly, I feel like if I was there late at night, I'd probably run into some ghosts. But it's cool. There's actually like train tracks that are behind the left field wall. And, you know, on certain days, guys hit home runs and it hits the trains, you know, the train cars. So it's 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 fantastic. If you were going to make one trip down here, uh, that would be it. And then there's one other stadium I got to give give a shout out to. There, there's a place called Rickwood Field in Birmingham. It's not where the Barons play the, the, the regular season games, but it's a it's it's a stadium that's older than Wrigley. It's the oldest, you know, stadium I think that's that's out there. And they, they play one throwback game there every year. So on occasion we'll be the team that plays in that game. It's called the Rickwood Classic. And it's so much fun. You know, like you, you just you're back in time. The players love it. Uh Willie Mays played there, Babe Ruth, you know, and all those guys. So it's wow. it's cool. And you know, Cubs fans would definitely get it. Sure. You're rarely in the stands for a professional baseball game, but if you are, what's a must at the concession stand while you're watching a ball game or in the booth, I guess. Yeah. Uh-uh. No, I'm in the stands. Uh, you know, look, I, throw me in the uh, bleachers at Wrigley, you know, hanging out with the guys out there. I've got to have a cold beer or two or three, you know, just depending on how hot it is and what's going on in the game. I like the high five. Uh, I'll, I'll heckle once in a while. Um, nice heckle. I'm not a mean heckler. And, uh, you know, I, I'm not a big hot dog guy, partly because I've, you know, I've 
been in so many ballparks over the years, but nothing better than a Chicago dog. So, I mean, if I had a Chicago dog every day, I would do that. So I love those. Mick, last one. You can broadcast nine innings of baseball with one person and one person only. Who are you picking to be sitting next to you in the booth for that one ball game? Wow. So is this um, like one person forever? Like, uh, no, know, um, they have to be alive. They have to be alive. No, no, no. Anybody, you name it, your dream nine inning game, who who you in the booth with? Oh, maybe man, maybe it's a three man booth. I you know it's up to you. Yeah. Look, if I if I could go back and be the third man on the uh, Harry Carey Steve Stone yeah. calls, and Harry would have to like me because I I know that he didn't like everybody, so sure. he'd have to like me. Like he'd he'd have to get he'd have to get me. And with that said, you know what? Doing a radio broadcast with uh doing nine innings of radio with ron santo would have been awesome you know like uh one of the best things that ever happened to me was when ron santo introduced me uh to billy williams you know and we had the alabama connection we're still friends every time i see him doesn't matter who he's talking to he stops and he yells roll tide at me that all started with uh with ron santo uh, and the dugout at wrigley you know years ago I didn't get a chance to, to work with him, but I, I just loved listening to him. And and let me say this, and you know, as a broadcaster, everything he did was wrong. I mean, like it was like, <laughs> what they, it's like, it's like everything that they teach you to do as a broadcaster, he didn't do it. You no. know, you're supposed to no. do this, do this, do this. But he was so genuine and it worked. You know, yeah. you could turn the game on and tell by like just his inflection if the Cubs were winning or losing, you know, if he was like, Oh shocks! You know, if you had that oh shucks voice, you know, you know you're you were winning, or if he was excited, you know, you it was either close or you know in your head. So I guess I guess him, and then the I, I know I should I I'm not supposed to give three, but the other guy is um is Chuck Thompson, who who was the Baltimore broadcaster and a Hall of Famer. He was my mentor. You know, I got to meet him as a kid, and he would talk to me on the phone and and teach me broadcasting. I don't even know why. I mean thinking about how life is now you know i don't know that there's many kids that would uh you know would would, would have that experience to get to um you know to get to do that but um and then and then of the guys that are there now uh, ben ingram of the braves one of my best friends I, I i would love to be in the booth with ben and uh you know we have the same sense of humor we laugh at the same stuff um he'd be really fun to work with wayne randazzo another good friend of mine with yeah. the Mets. So. So it'd be fun to work with somebody that you really like and you get too, you know. Mick, can't thank you enough for the time. I could sit here and talk Cubs ball with you for hours, but we appreciate it. Uh, cheers to a great season, and we'd love to love to catch up with you down the road if we can. Yeah, anytime. Mick, thanks again. Mick Gillespie, voice of the Tennessee Smokies, longtime member of the Cubs organization. Best of luck the rest of the way. Thanks, Mick. Hey, no problem. Great to talk.